Today on The Journey. We all have vulnerable areas. Whatever it is, it runs below the surface. Sooner or later, what now is only beneath the surface will show its cracks in the foundation of your life. Is there a quiet earthquake undermining the integrity of your foundation? A shaking so subtle that no one else feels it? Perhaps you aren't aware of it either, even though you are its cause. On today's broadcast, Ron Moore takes you below the surface of your life to expose the thoughts and actions that can topple your character and reputation. During that inspection, you'll also learn how to protect and shore up your spiritual foundation. Also, after the message, I'll let you know about Ron's challenging publication called Faith, Dead or Alive. It offers a vital examination of genuine faith. Faith, Dead or Alive is available as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. Your donation today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with a message titled, Temptation on the Journey. As we continue our study of James, we're going to look at the subject of temptation. James is going to start by making a very strong statement. That's where we need to start. And then he is going to walk through the steps of temptation. He's going to tell us three reasons why we should resist temptation. And I want to close with some very practical application regarding this issue. So for everyone who has ever been tempted, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. James writes, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers, generic sisters, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. On this passage, James begins by making a statement. And he makes a statement because he wants us to realize and he wants to emphasize that when it comes to temptation... We own it. You own it. And I own it. And the first thing he says in this passage is, don't you dare blame your temptation on God. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. James gives two reasons. One, for God cannot be tempted by evil. He is holy. He is set apart. Temptation never enters his mind. Temptation never penetrates his holiness. He is sinless. He is incapable of sinning. For God cannot be tempted by evil. That's the first reason. The second reason, nor does he tempt anyone. Because God is holy, he can't be tempted by evil. Because he is all loving, he won't tempt anyone. He will never entice us to sin. Now we learned in our study of James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that God will allow or even bring trials into our lives. 
Trials are those external things that come upon us. And we learn that he does that for a specific reason. He does that to grow us. He does that to develop us. The product of a trial is positive, not so the product of temptation. If we give in to temptation, it will halt our spiritual growth, and it will reverse our spiritual growth. So James says, don't blame your temptation on God. He is too holy to even deal in the realm of temptation. He loves you too much to attract you to sin. We have a dog named Bailey. She is quite a canine specimen. She is a cross between a beagle and a dachshund. And Bailey is evidence that there should never be a cross between a beagle and a dachshund. Bailey is a little bit overweight, and she doesn't like to exercise. That's a trial to her, but unless she exercises, she's not long for the earth. And so the kids take Bailey on walks, a bit of a trial for the kids and Bailey. <laughs> I also know what tempts Bailey, food of any kind. <laughs> and if I didn't love her as much as I do, and I'm stretching this truth a bit for the sake of this illustration. I would put pieces of fatty meat in her dish every day. This is the temptation Bailey could never resist. She would love it. It would give her instant pleasure, but what she enjoyed would literally be killing her. God will give us trials to build us up, but never temptations to bring us down. He will never wave temptation before us. The temptation we struggle with, the areas of our vulnerability, because he knows we are inclined to enjoy ourselves to death. And he is too holy and loves us too much to do that. So don't blame your temptation on God. The only person we have to blame is ourself. James tells us that in verses 14 and 15. He says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. Let's just stop there. That's the first step of temptation. Our own evil desire. That's called sinful nature. Each of us have a sinful nature and we will have it until we die. When we become a Christian, the penalty of sin is taken away. Christ paid the penalty on the cross. The propensity to sin will remain with us until our last breath. We will always be tempted. We will have enticement to sin. It's coming from our own sinful nature. Don't blame it on God, and don't even blame it on Satan sometimes. He's a tempter, and certainly he orchestrates this world where temptations are seen. But it's our own heart. It's our own responsibility. And until we come to grips that it's our issue, we're never going to deal with it. Look at verse 14. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. James goes here to the wide world of sports for an illustration, the illustration of hunting and fishing. The word drawn away refers to the baiting of a trap. It's that meat that's put in a trap that lures the animal from their hiding place to go check it out. Drawn away. And then enticed is a fisherman's term. It refers to baiting a hook, and it seems so enticing. 
It's a juicy worm. And if you're a fish, you want a juicy worm. You just don't realize that there's a hook under there. Baited and hooked is the second step, which leads to number three, the act of sin. And from that hunting and fishing analogy, James now moves to a biological analogy. Look at verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Our own desire, our own deception unites together. It conceives and it gives birth to sin. And sin is an ugly child. It has serious consequences. And then verse 15, the end of it says, when sin is full grown, the last step of temptation, it gives birth to death. James says, when sin is left unconfessed, when you coddle it, when you leave it to be full grown, when it runs its course, the end of it is death. He is saying by death that the result of sin will either be spiritual death and or physical death. By spiritual death, he means this. If you profess to be a believer, if you say, yeah, I've trusted in Christ, but then you go through the process of temptation. You are dragged away by your own evil desire. You bite the hook, and you are hooked. The act of sin takes place. You let it grow. You let it mature. You don't repent. You live with it for years and years and years. You never deal with it when confronted. You live outside the church. And James says if that's the case... The end result is spiritual death. You're not a believer. You haven't dealt with sin. Never trusted in Christ. And you're going to live eternity in hell, separated from God. It also may be physical death. The believer who deals with sin, who never repents of it, it may be that God says, you know what? You're doing too much damage. I'm going to take you home. You say, where would you get that? 1 John chapter 5, John says there is sin that leads to death. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, I'm going to give that person over to Satan that his body may be destroyed. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Begin with verse 26. Whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what would be an unworthy manner? Well, one, if you're not a believer. And secondly, if you are a believer but living in unconfessed habitual sin. It's an unworthy manner. That's why Paul says a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks what? Judgment on himself. And then he says in verse 30, That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. You're dead. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under this judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. We're being disciplined so that we can see the manner of life we're in is not what he has for us. The point James is making as he goes through these steps is a very obvious one. Sin is serious. You don't play with it. And you have to know that if you continue in it, if you take the hook, 
If you continue the act of sin, then there are serious consequences to pay. The process of temptation is a slippery slope. And unless we know it going in, unless we understand it, we're going to find ourselves on our backside sliding down so fast that we're out of control. And when we end up, it's going to be tragic. James gives us three reasons why we should resist temptation. He says, first of all, the warning of the consequences. Verse 16, back in James chapter 1, he says, don't be deceived. Don't think that you can sin and not pay the consequences of it. I've just given you the four steps, James says. Don't be deceived. Don't think you can play with this and not get burned. So the warning is the first reason to resist. But secondly, is this, the gifts of God. Look at verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James has already told us that God is holy, that God is all-loving, He won't tempt us. Here he reminds us of another characteristic of God. He's immutable. He doesn't change. And so His promise is always going to be there for us. He gives us good gifts. Everything we need is from God. The word coming down is a present participle, which means it continues to come down. It came down yesterday, it's coming down today, it's going to come down tomorrow. His gifts keep coming. God gives us everything we need. So why do you have to go over there in disobedience to be satisfied? Why do you have to go with this temptation and sin to think this is going to bring fulfillment? God will give you everything you need. And He doesn't change. So you don't have to wake up one day and find His gifts are no longer coming. God's gifts to you will satisfy you. God doesn't say, don't do this. Don't take this pleasure. And there's nothing else to fulfill it. He says, don't do that because you have this. You have everything that you need. His gifts are a reason we can resist temptation. Here's another great gift that he gives. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. If you're being tempted by it, guess what? Someone else already has been tempted by it. God is faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. You will never have a temptation where you can say, it was so strong, it was so enticing, I could not handle it. I had to give in. It will never happen. Here's the promise. But when you are tempted, and you're going to be, He will always provide a way out so you can stand up under it. He'll open the door. He'll give you the strength to walk out. And what are you going to do? It's a great promise. It's a great gift. Hebrews chapter 2, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Ask God for help. Hebrews chapter 4, for we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of God with confidence so we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of our need. There's a third reason we need to resist temptation. Our responsibility as Christians to honor God. Look at verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth 
that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He chose to give us birth. He's the one who brought us to himself. He's the one who graced us with salvation. And we are his first fruits. Remember, James is writing to Jewish readers. They would have known exactly what that word meant. Because the first fruit was the best you had. When you brought in your grain offering, the first fruits went to God. They're the best of the best. And James is using that same illustration for us, that same example. We are the best of God's best. We're a kind of first fruit offering. God says, look world, here's the church. Here's what a believer looks like. This is the best of my best. I sent my son to die for these people. I live within these people. I give them all the strength they need to live for me. They lack nothing. My gifts continue to come to them. Every need of their heart can be satisfied. This is my first fruit, world. Look at them. And what do we do? Do we act like first fruits or rotten fruit? We have a responsibility as Christians, if we're going to take that name, if we're going to tell others, we have a responsibility to live in a way that pleases God. Are we willing to do that? Practically, let's look at some ways to handle temptation. Number one, confess your sins. If you're in a situation right now, if you're already sliding on that slippery slope, if you feel like you're on your back, if you already took the hook and bit it, then it's time to confess your sins. You've got to make a decision within your heart, I am not going to live like this. I'm not going to dishonor the name of Christ. I'm not going to lose my family. I'm not going to run my character. I'm not going to let this crack continue to bust up the foundation of my life. I'm going to deal with it. Only you can do that. And you have this promise. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number two, don't put yourself in compromising situations. You know what your sin vulnerability is. You know what your weaknesses are. You know what really tempts you, and I know what tempts me. And I know that if I put myself in that situation, the chances are strong that I'm going to give in to it. So why would I want to put myself in that situation? If I have an area of weakness, I'm not going to place myself in that weakness. Don't place yourself in compromising situations. If you find yourself in one, get out of it. Number three. The future pain is not worth the temporary pleasure. Because you're going to pay for this thing. Sin has consequences. What you sow, you will reap. And it may seem enjoyable now, but it is going to be tough to pay for. Hebrews chapter 11, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. And sin's always fun for a short time. Use proper resistance. The next one, the Word of God. You know, I don't encourage you to read the Word of God just because that's what I'm supposed to say as a minister. The reason we encourage you to do that, the reason is it's the Word of God that will help you resist temptation. And how do we know that? What's our primary example? 
Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 4, write it down, read it. When he was tempted by Satan, strong temptations, how did he respond? This is what God says. Satan, here's a temptation. Jesus, this is what God says. Satan, here's a temptation. Jesus, this is what God says. He always responded by the Word of God. And if you're not reading the Word of God, if you're not meditating on it, if you're not learning about it, how are you going to resist temptation? The Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierces to the very bone and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's God's Word. You've got to be in it. Last one, accountability. You need to be accountable to someone. You need to have someone you can sit with, man on man, woman on woman, preferably not your husband or wife, where you can say, you know what, here's where I really struggle. If I were to fall, this is where Satan would get me. I know it right now. I need you to pray for me. And when we meet every other week or every week or once a month, I need you to ask me these questions. I need you to make sure I didn't do this, 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 and this, because that's where I'm tempted. Accountability. Take some time. Vulnerability. But if you don't do it, you're on your own. And if you don't do it, then you know what? When those little cracks start coming and you don't deal with them, no one's going to be there to say, hey, there's a crack running down the side of your wall here. You need to deal with that. Got to have accountability. God has given us everything we need. Everything we need to satisfy us. We don't have to go into the realm of disobedience to be satisfied. He lives within us. He can empower us to resist temptation. He'll never let us be tempted more than we can bear. And he says, I love you so much. My son has died for you on a cross. You're my first fruit. And I want you in your office and in your home and in your neighborhood, I want to show them what a Christian looks like. I want to show them what my best really is. And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. How do you know when your faith, or that of a friend or loved one, is a living faith? Is it proved by a walk down a church aisle, praying a salvation prayer, or attending catechism classes? Or is there other evidence that must be displayed? That question is asked and answered in Ron Moore's PDF booklet titled, Faith, Dead or Alive. In Faith, Dead or Alive, Ron outlines the characteristics of genuine belief and how you can perceive their presence animating your life. It's the most important waypoint on the spiritual journey. Faith, Dead or Alive is yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. Again, that web address is ronmore.org. Your donation today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with a preview of our next broadcast. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers, again generic, brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil 
that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save. Anger is like a vast ocean that stands between you and the desires that God has for your life. And if you want to live the life God has for you and in that life be satisfied and fulfilled, then you're going to have to take a different route than anger. Look again at verse 20. For man's anger, a life characterized by anger, does not bring about, does not develop, the righteous life that God desires, the holy life God has called us to. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And please remember to order your copy of Ron Moore's PDF booklet, Faith, Dead or Alive. It's a vital checkup on your spiritual health. Faith, Dead or Alive is available for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmoore.org. Again, that web address is ronmoore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the real conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is biblechapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening. And we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on the journey.